On this episode of The B-Side, we're going to be covering the mission of the church. Welcome to The B-Side, a Blessed Hope podcast where we turn over the sermon notes and answer those lingering questions. As always, I am Vince, your host, and I have Matt with me as per usual. He is uh, the pastor here at Blessed Hope Church, and I'm the youth pastor. And we're going to be covering uh, the mission of the church. Uh, this is part of a series, Understanding Church, six weeks, and we've covered two weeks. You want to just kind of intro what those two weeks were so sure, far? Sure, yeah, yeah. So, so week one of this series, and, and really the whole premise of this series, Understanding Church, is, is for us to dig into what is the church? Uh, why does the church exist? And, and, and yes, the church as a grand perspective, like, you know, this church as a whole, all Christians, all time, you know, and, and that's one kind of thing that we need to understand what that means, the, the bride of Christ as the church. But, but we're in this series diving into uh, to what God calls the local church to be, how he calls us to minister and serve and what our mission is. And we started week one uh, we were dealing with, with the idea of prayer and fasting, and that God calls us to be a church that's reliant on prayer, that prays bold, earth-shattering prayers, prayers that make a difference, uh, and that fasting is a way that we engage in that uh, as well. And, uh, you know, we've asked people in the church to, to join prayer teams and be intentional about prayer. Um, one is we go through Lent and, and lead up to Easter and the season after, but two, just specifically um, as, as, a, as a habit of living, that they would start to be intentional about that. And then last week, we, we talked mission, and that the mission of the church is important. The mission of the church matters. The mission of the church is about keeping people, honestly, keeping people out of hell. And uh, I think too many churches are a little sidetracked in their mission, and they know it but they don't necessarily act like that's their mission. And, and I want to make sure that Blessed Hope is, is um, different. Yeah, definitely. And I, w- I would say, uh, being on the elder retreat that we had uh, about a month ago, t- mm-hmm. when we asked our congregation to be praying and fasting for us during that month leading up to that, I, I can say without a shadow of doubt that that was fruitful and helpful, and God worked through their prayer and fasting for their leaders. And so anybody that's listening to this, Keep praying and fasting for your leaders, and if you're not praying and fasting, I, man, God's God's got something for you. It's a great ministry, and I would just say get on that. Um, yeah, I, I yeah I would echo that. That that was I think, and I said this uh, maybe in a in a Facebook comment or, or somewhere along the way, but I think that in the four years that I've been here, that was absolutely uh, the best concentrated time of meeting together, of praying together, of being together as elders uh, in the church. I think we accomplished uh, so much together, and not just, oh, great, we got more things done that we checked off our list, but, but, but we were just able to, to take things where there was so much different thought and vision and understanding and come together in ways uh, that were just unified and, and focused and with direction. And I, yeah, there is, there is no doubt in my mind that that is in large part uh, due to the prayers and fasting of the people in the church, so for sure. So now we're going to get into a, a subject that I think uh, a lot of the North American church, uh, in, I'll include Canada and, and Mexico in that as well. Um, well, good, because they're, they're in North America, yeah, so okay. That, well, just wasn't sure if you knew your geography very Some well. people, when they say North America, they just mean the United States. Oh, okay, I got you. But uh, 
is the mission of the church. And you said something interesting this Sunday about how the church is for you, but it's not necessarily about you. And I think uh, that's something that we struggle with really a, a lot when it comes to mission and what should the church look like to engage our culture? Should our church be engaging the culture? And, and just trying to figure that out. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a comment I'm, I made on Sunday, uh, and it's a big idea that I think we just need to continually keep in front of ourselves. And, and understand what I'm saying. When I say the church is for you but not about you, that, that that's not me wagging my finger at other people. That's me looking in a mirror and saying, hey, Hans, um, this church that you are a part of is not, it's not first and foremost focused on you as a member of it. And I think in this culture, and like you say, in, you know, in the North American culture, but especially in this um, climate that we're in, there, there tends to be this attitude, this me first attitude that just kind of transcends everything. And it's great when I go shopping right? It's great that I can get it my way. It's great that I can, you know, click on Amazon and have it delivered to my house in two days. And it's great that I can, you know, get my Whopper any way that I want it when I'm at Burger <laughs> King. But uh, I can go to Subway and pick out all my specific toppings and get rid of the things I don't like. Yeah. It's great that way. But that attitude has seemingly, in our world, bled into the church. Um, mm. And so we come to the church and we want to have it our way. Yeah. And I, because I'm a flawed, broken, messy guy, when, when I think about the church that I minister in and that I'm a part of, I want to have it my way. And so I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to any member of our congregation here, that the church is for me, it's for us, but it's not about us. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what I mean by that is there's always a place for us to be, mm -hmm. right? There's a place for us to get plugged in and to dig in and to go deep and to grow and to engage and to build relationships and be challenged and to serve and, and minister and all of those things that are great about being a part of the church. And there's a place for me here. But as soon as the church starts becoming about what I want mm. and what I think I need, then the church has lost sight of its true mission. Yeah. And, and I think that we just really have to wrap our heads around that because I think it's... it's um, at least in the context that I'm aware of, um, there are a lot of churches that have gone completely off the rails. They've started being not just for them, but they've started being about themselves. And, and frankly, what that makes us as a church is it makes us selfish. Mm. I mean, think about how that works in your everyday life. If I make my family that I'm a part of all about me, right. we would say I'm, a, I, I'm kind of a, a bad husband, I'm a bad father, mm. and I'm selfish. Right, So I know that to be a good father and a good husband, that my family is not about me. It's for me. I'm a part of it, yeah. but it's not about me. But yet somehow in the church, we, we get this idea that it's different. Yeah, that's a, that's a great picture. I've never heard uh, the church put so clearly into that perspective. Um, I think one of the things that we really struggle with is the container versus the substance. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great analogy, isn't it? Yeah, I stole it from you. So. Um, I know, that's why I said it was great. One of the things that, uh, when I was in seminary, one of the things that my professor said, and it's going to sound more fancy than it is, but that the Bible is infinitely translatable, that there's no language that it can't be translated into. And, and by that, it just means the truth is always going to stay the same. The language will change. So if I'm in China, I'm not handing out Bibles in English. I'm handing them out in Mandarin. You know, I, I, I am giving them Bibles that they can actually read 
And I think that's an interesting way to, to view the mission of the church is we want to give them a vision of God or a something that they can actually read yeah. and, and understand rather than something that's foreign and different than the language that they speak. Yeah. Uh, think about it this way, Vince. It, 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 uh, at my house growing up, we had yellow tumblers for cups. Mm-hmm. You know where the yellow tumblers came from? I have no idea. Dog food bags. Really? Yep. So it was this thing, and we had a German shepherd growing up, and so um, in, in, the, in the bag of, of dog food, there would be either a bowl or a yellow glass tumbler, it was plastic, but tumbler uh, cup, or, or a plate. And they were all just this yellow plastic. Um, hmm. But we had a big dog that ate a lot of dog food, and after a while, we had you know a pretty good set of this yellow dishware. Hmm. Um, and that's what we used a lot, right? We used these plates that came from the dog food. I mean, we washed them well, but we used these cups. I hope and, so. uh, but when people came over for dinner, mm-hmm. we didn't use uh, the Alpo dishware, mm. right? That stayed in the cupboard, and mom pulled out the china. Mm. And, and so um, it, it would have been weird to invite guests over for a fancy meal and give them the yellow dog food dishes. Uh, But for us, it would have been weird to sit down at the kitchen table and have the fancy china when we were just eating Sloppy Joe's on the run. Right. Um, And so we kind of have that understanding. We can get that, that that the dishes change, you know, the containers change Mm -hmm. depending on who's at dinner and what's happening and how fancy it's supposed to be. And really when we say that the the container and, and, and the liquid that it holds... When we, when we use that analogy, we're really just talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the food that my yellow dishes or my china held was the same food, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, the gospel message, the truth of scripture, what the Bible says about morality and what the Bible says about, uh, about the way that people should act and what the Bible says about um, biblical values and what the mm-hmm. Bible says about your need for salvation and that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to be right with the God of the universe and that we're saved by grace through faith. All mm-hmm. of those things is like this precious liquid. It just never changes. But how we present it to people mm-hmm. needs to be infinitely different. It's like your example. It's like I'm, I'm not going to say it um, in English to somebody that needs to hear it in Mandarin. Yeah. Because my message could be awesome, mm-hmm. but they won't understand it, they won't wrestle with it, they won't hear it, and ultimately, they won't be changed by it. And, and I mean, that's so interesting, it just made me think of Paul when he talks about speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. how useless it is without a translator, and it's the same thing. I can go speak English uh, to a, a village in China, but if I don't have a translator, it's meaningless, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. And so... Uh, Talking about language, you brought up a, a story about a, a church that you went and candidate, candidated at mm-hmm. uh, in Washington. You want to kind of bring that up? Just, sure. Yeah. I think that was a little hard for people to to follow, or some yeah, people. some you will. Yeah, let's let's break that down a little bit. And and um, you know the reality is we went to this church, and it was a great church. It was a church plant, and it it was um, about a year old, and it was about eighty to ninety people strong. Um, and it was in this, this agricultural community, this town of about 2,000 folks. Um, and the grand majority of, of that town, that city, Royal City, Washington, 
the grand majority of that town uh, was made up of migrant workers. Uh, many who lived there and had made home there, yeah. uh, made their homes there, but, but many who traveled. And so the population flexed and fluxed depending on the time of year. And, mm-hmm. um, and the church, though, uh, was primarily um, white. Mm. Uh, and it was mostly the owners of some of these vineyards yeah. um, or some of the professionals that worked in and around the town, police and, and uh, um, teachers and some of those things that, that comprised the church. And, you know, when Carrie and I went, we were, I mean, we were kind of sold on the church and, and the fact that they wanted to be different and they wanted to do things differently and they wanted to share the gospel desperately. But, but the problem with that church, and, and I, I haven't tracked them in the last four and a half years. I don't mm-hmm. know how it's worked out for them or what they're doing now. And, and, and I, I pray it's, there were some good people there and I pray that, that it's, it's working well for them. But the problem in our eyes was simply that um, they didn't have a plan to get the gospel to the culture they were trying to minister to. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a town of mostly poor Hispanic um, migrant workers. Yeah. That's who is in the town. And so that's who the church should have been for. Um, and so they should have been looking for a pastor that wasn't me. They should have been looking for a pastor that had experience or a desire to work in cross-cultural ministry. Mm. Uh, they probably should have been hiring a Hispanic um, pastor, someone uh, that could offer bilingual services or some of those things. They should have had plans in place for that, and they didn't. And, and it became kind of a barrier for us thinking, you know, we're going to go and be the church in this place. But how can we really be the church to those folks? Because yeah. we don't speak the language and we don't speak the culture and mm-hmm. the church had no desire to learn how to do those things. Yeah. And so if that church has grown in that model, it's, it's grown slowly and it's grown probably um, in a way that's not representative of who's in the community. Yeah, I think that's, that's so huge that we want to be as the local church an authentic representation of the local community that we're in. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, uh, you hear a lot about diversity, but the truth is diversity is not necessarily always achievable, especially if you're in rural Iowa. If you're here in Vinton, right? You, yeah. It's, it's not hard to be happen. diverse here. But we want to be authentic to the community that we do have. Right. Um, I think one of the things that is so hard for people is that they've seen other churches mm-hmm. engage the culture but compromise the truth at the same time. And I think that's part of the real, like, I don't know if we should do it that way because I've seen it compromise the truth. Yeah, when I say the word relevant, mm-hmm. that Blessed Hope, and, and, and for those of you that don't know, this is a core value of Blessed Hope. Blessed Hope has a core value of being relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way that uh, Mark Batterson's church, uh, the National Church in Washington, D.C., you know, they have their, their tagline next to their value of relevance is that irrelevance is irreverent. Mm. Um, you know, that something about not being able to engage or fit in the, in the community and culture that you're called to serve and minister to and convert not being able to fit there, that's irreverent. That's, a, mm. you know, that, that's pushing God aside and not valuing what he values. And I think there's just, that, that's such a great way to frame it. But we have a core value of relevance. And what that means is that we desire to engage the world that we live mm. in. And you're right. When I say the word relevant, people get, they gasp, they get tense, they get tight because they've seen other churches in a desire to be relevant start to decide that true things aren't true anymore. 
And, and so let's just be blunt. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, uh, we minister in a community right here where we've got probably, and, and I'm exaggerating, of course, but we've got 85 churches in this small community of, of 5,000. Right. Um, and of those 85 churches, um, uh, I'd say, well, three quarters of them mm-hmm. are probably okay with homosexuality. Uh, to the point where even ordaining um, clergy yeah. that, that practices homosexuality. And, and, and probably a good another, you know, um, 75% of the churches in town, if you pushed them on their, the question of abortion, would argue, yeah, it's not really as big of a deal. Um, it's not something that we want to take a stand on, or it's something we're just okay with. Yeah. And if you pushed a good chunk of those churches, I'd say, if I had to gamble, I'd say at least half of the churches in town. If you had to push those churches on, hey, is the Bible to be trusted? Is the Bible the inerrant word of God that is good um, for truth and instruction for living then and now? Mm -hmm. There are, I would bet, at least half of the churches in town that would not be able to agree with that statement. And, And so... I get it. When we say we want to be relevant and we want to engage the culture, the mm-hmm. natural inclination is, oh, whoa, time out. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. What are we going to compromise? Because we don't want to compromise. And, and, and what I would say to those folks that have that fear is I get it. I understand it. But here's the deal. That's the precious liquid that never changes. As a church, we will never say something contrary to God. Yeah. If God says, again, for example, if God says abortion is sinful, then we will say, whether it's popular with the world or not, we will say abortion is sinful. Mm-hmm. If, if in the same way God says, hey, sex outside of marriage is sinful, mm-hmm. and I know I've hurt people's feelings um, yeah. in this congregation. I know that I've had people walk away angry and refuse to come back because I say, hey, living with your significant other and having sex outside of marriage is sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not talking ever about watering down the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we say relevant, we are talking about engaging a culture on mission, speaking their language. Yeah, so I just want to run through a couple of historical things, and then we can get into what that looks like in Vinton specifically, because yeah. I think that's far more valuable. But, sure. Uh, the church so put has, it in context, yeah. The church has always been about reaching the people uh, that they... that they're ministering to. I mean, Paul does this with dietary laws. And then Peter even, Peter's kind of the, ooh, I don't know. And then God gives him a vision. And Peter's like, okay, I'll I'll eat the unclean, you know, in quotes, animals. Um, This goes to the first successful missionaries to Asia. There were many missionaries before that. uh, But when they first got there, the, the first successful ones, they got rid of all of their Western clothes and dressed and ate the food of the culture, and by that, they won the right to share the gospel. Yes. Um, yeah. I even think of uh, how Christians engaged pagans in Europe with when it comes to Christmas or Easter. I mean, I think that that's one of those things where we just take for granted that it's, it is the way that it is, but the early missionaries to the pagan world, I mean, we reappropriated uh, pagan festivals and um, things all the time for the sake of the gospel, we would go into pagan temples and take out all the idols and then say, this is a church. This is where God's going to be worshiped. And I think um, you see that a little bit with shopping malls now. Sure. Um, 
but we struggle in our own day and age. What does that look like? Um, so we just kind of run through what that looks like a little bit in Vinton. Yeah, well, okay, so uh, first of all, I think those are great examples um, of, of things that don't scare us. And I, you know, I, I read um, Lecrae, Mm -hmm. uh, Christian rapper. And I know I say Christian rapper, and that's a perfect example. Not necessarily here in Vinton, because yeah. we, don't, we don't have a population here in Vinton that, that is drawn to rap music. Right. But, but even the fact that there can be Christian rap music is this picture of, look, I'm not compromising truth. Rap music isn't inherently bad. Mm -hmm. It's something that I redeem by, by bringing faith and, and hope into it. Mm -hmm. And so just by virtue of there being a Christian rapper. But I remember reading an article um, that, that uh, he was giving, uh, an interview he was giving, where he talked about that their Christian recording studio in Atlanta um, was an old pornography studio. Wow. Okay, um, that they had had moved into this secular space, and I mean it's as secular as it gets. This this pornography studio um, celebrating unholiness and ungodliness, and they've moved into this, and, and they had repurposed it, and they had rededicated, it, and they had 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 um, consecrated it to the Lord, and they were using it then in a way to bring the gospel to people in a neighborhood that desperately needed the gospel in, in a in a music industry that desperately needs the gospel. And so um, that's just a perfect example, I think. You know, you talk about missionaries yeah. to China, Christmas, for that matter. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that we have Christmas trees and wreaths and mm -hmm. celebrate in December. Um, you know, ways that, that we are engaging the culture where they're at with the gospel. And, and so I think it's, it's plausible for us to understand that, look, this can happen. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples um, for here in town, things that this church has been about and, and other churches that I think have value. And this is what we're talking about when we say engage the culture. You know, first and foremost, we, we have, um, in October, we do a trunk or treat, right? Um, mm -hmm. We don't get up in arms about how bad Halloween is for kids, <laughs> right? That, oh, there's ghosts and goblins and witches right. and witchcraft and wizardry and all of those things. But you know what we do? Um, we... We, we bring people together in a safe family environment. We, mm -hmm. as parents walk through with their kids to get candy at the different trunks that the me church members have come to decorate, um, mm -hmm. we have visits with them. We talk with them. We, we share mm -hmm. life with them a little bit. We engage their kids. We invite them to church. We, we mm -hmm. show them what we have that's for them and that the gospel um, isn't necessarily uptight and that the church isn't necessarily stuffy, but that you know what, there's good things. And so that, that's one example of some things that we've done, mm -hmm. our faith and action. Is our in town mission trip where for three days, and that's coming up uh, in June. It's on the church calendar already. I'm so excited. We had our first meeting last night uh, with the planning team. Uh, this will be the third year that we've done it. We, as a church body, we get together and for three solid days on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we hit the community hard. Mm -hmm. with service and acts of love. Why? Because we live in a, in a community that values service. Yeah. We've got AmeriCorps. We had FEMA here for a long time. We've got our volunteer firefighters and our paramedics and, and, and our police, and we value acts of service. We, we got Kiwanis and Lions Club, and we value all of it. And so people see service, and they, they, they feel good about it, and they value it. But we don't necessarily live in a community that values the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so mm -hmm. by doing faith in action, we are demonstrating the love of Christ, no strings attached, and we're connecting service with the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. And, and we're able to then bring, in a language that the community speaks and esteems, we're able to bring the cross of Christ front and center. And I think that's a perfect example of, of ways that we try to stay relevant and we engage mm-hmm. the community in a language they speak. I'll be, I'll be honest, and this one will ruffle feathers, the music we sing on Sunday mornings. Yeah. The fact that we aren't overly liturgical. Mm-hmm. That's not an accident. That's by design. And it's not to say that there's not value in liturgy. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that there's not value in old traditional hymns. There are. Mm-hmm. I love hymns. Mm-hmm. There's value in those things. But does that, do those things really engage the culture? Mm-hmm. And, and so this is where I'd ask our members to think, and members of other churches, if you're having conversations like this in your churches, I, I would just ask you to, to, to think this. When you gather together on a Sunday morning, what is more valuable? Mm-hmm. Liturgy? Hymns that you know and have loved for years and years? Or the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah. And I think we know what the answer to that should be, mm-hmm. but then the follow-up question is, boy, when you think about how you do it as a church, or when we think about how mm-hmm. we do it as a church, which one do we seem to be esteeming mm-hmm. more? Which one do we value more? Yeah. I, that just reminds me of the summer before I came here. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm camp counselor background. I love camp. Uh, but that whole summer, I would do camp for a week. I would dance and sing and be crazy in, in uh, worship and that's a style of worship that a lot of our church members would be like, <gasps> but then on the weekends, I'd go preach at this small historical museum church with a <laughs> bunch of old people, and I was in charge of picking music, and I picked hymns, and I sang hymns I never knew before, and it was all about bringing the gospel to the audience that I had, and yeah. so when I was at camp, I was dancing, I was singing, I was doing hand motions when I was at that church it was hymns. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's the point, right? If we lived in a community uh, that primarily would be moved by those, that's what we do. But we don't live in that community. Right. So we do it differently. And, um, you know, our children's programs, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of people wonder, because I think we may be the only church in town that does this, why our kids have their own worship service downstairs? Mm-hmm. Well, one, because we think it's good for kids. Yeah. Because we are, what we're doing is we're engaging them on their level. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, one of the things that we know, it's the reason we have CSI, our, our, our uh, uh, Christian Summer Institute, kind of our tutoring and, and, and mm-hmm. school for kids to get back into the, the swing of things, and, and why we have our midweek programs and why we have our children's programming is because parents care about their kids getting faith. Even mm-hmm. if we have parents that don't necessarily um, esteem or value their own faith, mm-hmm. By and large, they value it for their kids. And so as we engage the kids, one, we make sure that they grow up in faith and excitement and energy that they like because the kids come here to those programs and they say to mom and dad, hey, I want to come back. Yeah. And guess what happens when, when mom and dad come back with their kids? Because we are as relevant as we can be with the sermon topics that we choose and the music we choose mm-hmm. and the way we share the gospel, not only are kids getting their stuff downstairs, but we're getting to engage their parents, their adults mm-hmm. here in the church service. And, and we have plenty of people who have come here because they wanted to get their kids plugged in, yeah. but now their parents are hooked. Now they're sold out for the gospel mm-hmm. and now they're doing, and it's just a way we can be yeah. relevant. Mops uh, is a perfect example of that. Absolutely. Partnered with Midweek. You know, single moms or just moms that that need something. Need some adult time. Need some adult time. And then we've have we have a number of those families and moms from that program that have 
partnered with the Midweek Program for Children. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, and so a couple other uh, quick things I just want to make sure we mention is these are things that we do. We did Christmas. I, I am so proud of our congregation uh, because one of the most one of the, the, the great things that we do here that we've always done, and, and we're nine years old, so it's not like we've been around, no, wait, we're more than that. We're 12 years old. We're 12 years old. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, it's one of those things that, that we do that, that we didn't, um, that we've done since the beginning is, is our Christmas Eve service. And that's mm-hmm. a very family-focused service. Yes, outsiders were always welcome, but it was designed for us. It was for us people that call Blessed Hope Home, mm-hmm. and some of our family members to come and have this intimate Christmas Eve service together. But this year, we challenged them. We said, hey, we're going to do, because Christmas Eve was on a Sunday, we're going we, we're gonna to leverage Christmas Eve, and we're going to have a community evangelical event for people that are willing to go to a Christmas Eve service. They know, hey, people do this. Let's check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Christmas Eve. Let's try it but that aren't connected to a body. And so we, we partnered with Revolution Church and we went down to the school and, and we had this great Christmas Eve community, evangelically focused service. Yeah. And I, I'm so proud of our church because our church responded to that. Mm-hmm. They got on board with that. They invited people, they came, they served. And, and, and we, I, I, I don't know that we packed the Tilford Auditorium, but we came pretty darn close right. um, to packing the Tilford Auditorium with people that otherwise maybe wouldn't have had a place to be on Christmas Eve or maybe wouldn't have heard the gospel mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve. And so the fact that we could do that is perfect. Another example with Revolution, we love to partner with Revolution Church because mm-hmm. they get this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got such a great location and space to be right there downtown engaged with the community. So this Sunday... We're going to have our second coffee and conversation where we sit down uh, and Pastor David Condry and myself, and, and I know you're there and Malia's mm-hmm. there to kind of moderate a little bit, where we sit down and we just answer tough questions. Yeah. Uh, first, it was evil and tragedy and suffering in the world. This time, oh my goodness, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to answer questions about what is a biblical response to all of the sexual confusion in our culture, from homosexuality to transgenderism to, to just um, gender stereotypes and misogyny, and all of these different things yeah. and abuse, and, and what's a good Christian response? What does the Bible say about those things? Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to be a lot of fun too, I think, and those are just ways that we engage the culture mm-hmm. with the gospel of Christ. We don't compromise anything. Mm-hmm. We are never going to say something is true that's false, and we're never going to, not only are we not going to compromise things, Vince, but here's the great thing. Not only that, but we're also never going to skirt issues. Because mm. I think that's how it starts. Yeah. I think churches that just start to avoid issues because they don't want to talk about tough stuff mm-hmm. eventually get to the point where when they do have to talk about it, because we'll always have to talk about it, they compromise. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to keep talking about hard things. We're going to keep talking about the gospel. It's never going to change. Yeah. But we are going to work hard to say it in a language that people hear. So... My hope with, with this podcast was that uh, the people listening, and, and if you're listening, we just pray that uh, this helped you understand and maybe get your arms around this idea that uh, the container can change, but the truth doesn't have to. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we have four more weeks of this series. You want to just forecast a couple weeks ahead? Oh, yeah, I'm really excited about this Sunday uh, because this is another topic that most people might shy away from, but we're going to dig into. We're going to talk about gender in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, what's, what are men 
roles in the church and what are women roles in the church and what does the bible have to say about who leads and who serves and who serves one another and how it works and here's here's just a clue we all lead in some way and we all serve one another in some mm. way and we're going to talk about things like egalitarianism and feminism mm. and complementarianism and patriarchy and it's going to be a lot of fun i think yeah. and then the next week we're going to talk about elders and deacons uh, mm. and, and what they are and how they work and what a church responsibility and uh, and, and and how that all goes together, and then you get to preach yeah. uh, a week on on worship, worship, um, and so that's that's a lot of fun. I'm going to be looking forward mm-hmm. to hearing that, and then we'll wrap up the whole series talking about um, our service and our growth, mm-hmm. uh, and then after that we just get into Easter, and so it's kind of crazy. It's blowing yeah. my mind how closely we're getting. It, it um, feels a little bit like we're a snowball rolling down right, a hill. Right. Like it just keeps building and getting bigger as yeah. we enter spring. Yeah, it's good stuff, though. So we just thank you guys for joining us today, uh, talking about the mission of the church, and it is so vital and important that we understand that. So any, any last words? You know what? No, i just uh, love to see you here on Sunday or, or love for you to get plugged in and dig deeper at the church you're at and uh, just make sure you're, you're always working to grow and, and be on mission Uh, for Christ. Thanks for joining us, guys.